0: We are learning to be biblically minded about spiritual gifts. That's, at least that's the goal. That's the direction we're trying to achieve. I want to learn how to think biblically about spiritual gifts. Um, The question I have for you though, as we step into this topic in Romans 12, starting in verse 6, is are you today, like in your life, this week, this month, just recently, are you using your specific giftings to help the believers in your life? That's that's the question I want you to ponder and just like think kind of take a moment Don't feel like you have to have a gut reaction take a moment to ponder this and go Let me just kind of examine because you might think no and then think about it more and be like no no Yeah, I am here. I see it. You might think yes, and then think more about it and go. No, not really So so let yourself sort of soak it in Are you using your gifts to help the believers in your life because you should be and I don't say this by way of heaping guilt upon you Um, I say it rather by creating hopefully an expectation of what's normal as a Christian biblically is that I just naturally use my gifts to serve the body. So we're going to study the gifts. We'll talk about teaching, exhortation, service, mercy, giving. We'll talk about several different gifts specifically. What are they? Kind of unpack the ideas a little bit, help you identify if you have either occasionally or regularly have some of these gifts. But let me give you an analogy first that I think will help set the stage for us. Now, some of you guys are into sports, so forgive me if I do this sports analogy wrong, <laughs> but if you were the coach of a team, let's say that you were coaching a team, you would probably try, I imagine to maximize the usefulness of the individuals of your team by putting them in positions that did two things. One, you'd want to, you want the position to match their skill and ability. If they're fast, they'll be in a certain position. If they're tall and have a long reach, they'll be in a certain position. If they're big and strong and sturdy, they might have a different position. So you'll put them in positions depending on their skills, but also, you'll put them in a position based upon the needs of the team. Maybe if you have a lot of strong and sturdy guys, you might grab one of them and put them in a different place because that's just what the team needs, even though it may not be their particular skill, but amongst the sturdy ones, they're better at this than that. You know, so you move your people around based upon their abilities and based upon the needs of the situation. Now the Holy Spirit does this in the church. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He does this in the church but he goes one step further so not only is the intention I think of the Holy Spirit to put us in accordance with our skills and abilities in the body serving but also according to the needs of the body so there's some some wiggle room there but there's a step further that the Holy Spirit takes the Holy Spirit's the one who gives us the abilities in the first place and that's kind of imagine if you were the coach of the team and you could give them the abilities that you wanted them to have for the different positions you were gonna have them play that's what the Holy Spirit does for us Distributing to each one individually as he wills. I think that's kind of exciting. So this means that there's like a real intentional agenda for my giftings and for your giftings in your local body and your local fellowship of Christians. That's a different way of thinking about church, isn't it? But that, I think, is the biblical way of thinking about church and thinking about gifts. So that's where we are in Romans 12. And when we, when we, we've we explained all this doctrinal stuff. Now we're moving into what it is to be the church and to think how to think about being part of the church. And the first thing he says is, hey, don't be arrogant, don't be proud. And then he moves on to, now use your gifts according to your giftings. That's the emphasis now. So let's talk about that from that perspective. So we've talked about prophecy. We've talked a lot about that last week. So let's start in Romans 12, verse 7 uh, with Ministry so it so we spoke of prophecy now. It's or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering If it's ministry if your gifting is in ministry use it in your ministering. What is what does that mean? We, we usually use the term ministry to refer to people who are like Sometimes employed by the church like they're actually getting their paycheck through the church and then they're in ministry um, Other times we use it. And we don't even think about Paycheck or anything. We just think about someone who's part of the local body sort of sponsored Activities, you know someone who's they're serving in our lifeguard food ministry Well, they're in ministry even if they're volunteering in it They're serving in ministry, but the word it doesn't necessarily mean ministry like like um, Leadership roles or positions in the church it can apply to that but the word just means serving So if serving in in your serving, it seems somewhat repetitive, right? This is not, this is not a deacon, the word similar in the Greek to the word for deacon, but this is different. This is not talking about people called into the leadership role of being a deacon. This is just saying, if you have a gift in serving, which means any serving of the body. So let's say that you show up and you say, I'm going to help out in toddler junction and I'm going to take care of babies and change diapers, um, then you're serving. That's a service to the church. You know, you come in and you clean things. You, 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 you bake food for a, a, an event that we're doing. You know, that, that's all serving. You go over to your friend's house and they're, they're sick and so you're helping them clean up their yard. That's serving. It can happen in the church. It can happen outside the church. But it really is, I think, we should just think of it as a, a very big umbrella term for meeting needs. Just meeting needs. It has to do more with tasks, with actual tasks getting stuff done physically. I think that's what serving tends to have to do with. And it has application to church service, but it's bigger than that. Um, and what what is the command for those who, if you're doing it in ministry, you're using your gifting. If your gifting's in ministry, then use it in your ministering. Why is it? It's, it's just repeated. In fact, we'll get this three times in a row where he mentions a gift. If you have this gift, then do this gift. Why is it repeated? I think the point is not to say, if you have a gift in serving, Um, serve this way, but rather just get to it. That's the idea. That's why it would be, do you have a gift in serving? Okay, well, what should I do? Go serve. That's the point. Just get out there and serve. Start helping. Sometimes people are going like, oh, I really want to help in the church. I really want to help the body. I really want to help serve my fellow Christian. And I'm like, great. What's stopping you? Oh, I don't know. I'm waiting to be asked. Why? Just start helping. Just just start picking things up. Just start cleaning things up. Just start serving in any capacity. Anything you can see that needs to be done, just go do it. That's the emphasis I think that Paul has here. And I think it's God's emphasis for us. Do you see something? Go do it. In fact, that's the assumption. The assumption is that you've already got the gift of serving in some capacity, to, you know, if you have this. Um, and I think all of us have it to some degree. And then some of us have it to a greater degree. So the assumption is it's already there, now what do you do? Go do it. You're like the, you're, it's like the parable of the talents. I've got this responsibility already on me, now I need to get out there and start doing something with it. So see a need, meet a need. That's the simple way to do it. You see a need, you meet a need. And you will find that organically, as you do this, you will find yourself serving more and more and more and you show yourself to be, you have a good reputation and to be reliable and to be dependable and you just serve. And you don't have anything that's below you like you'll clean toilets for the Lord and that's not because you're so incredibly humble it's just because that's a glorious thing to do for the Lord I mean this is it doesn't take humility to do it once you realize it's something you get to do to serve Jesus Um, so if you have this thing in serving just go and do it now I I have a couple tips for people who do this Um, I say this resist the temptation to under spiritualize serving we tend to under spiritualize certain things in the church we sometimes over-spiritualize certain things in the church, but this is under-spiritualized. Let's say you're doing janitorial work for the church. And you're like, here I am, I'm just cleaning things. I'm just making things look nice, fixing stuff that's broken, and you're doing that. You're making meals, you're doing security for the church, you're, you're greeting people, you're just helping people that you see needs and you're helping them, whether it's as part of the local weekly meeting or some other extended thing you're doing. We sometimes tend to under-spiritualize these things and act like they're not a big deal. And I think the disciples did this too. So let me read the interaction between Jesus and the disciples where I think it draws out this point. It's in uh, Mark chapter 9. It'll be in verses 33 through 37. So this this is the problem with the apostles. See if you connect with it. It says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it uh, you disputed among yourselves on the road? What was this argument you were having? And it says, but they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Notice it's not that they they didn't argue who is the greatest. They argued who would be the greatest, meaning that they were setting their eyes on a future expectation, probably of Jesus stepping into his royal kingship on the earth, thinking, which one of us will be the greatest in the kingdom? (laughs) So this is on their mind, and they're sort of discussing it. And someone's probably like, oh, well, I think it's obviously going to be so-and-so, you know. I mean, look at... Look at Judas, he's taking care of the money, you know, he's a very responsible guy, you know, he's very trusted and all this. Who knows how that discussion went. So in verse 35, it says, and he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant, servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And by doing this, I think Jesus is trying to elevate or to get us to correctly spiritualize the simple tasks of serving. You serve this child in my name? Guess what? You served me and you served him who sent me. So that we realize when we're serving the body of Christ, we're serving Christ. We're serving the father as well. So resist the temptation to under spiritualize those things. I I shared this once before, but I'll never forget being at a uh, a, a meeting of leaders and the number two guy at a church showed up and he did the administrative type work and he kind of talked down his job of how he served in the church. And I was, it, it made me sad to hear him talk it down. And he was like, well, you know, it's not all about spiritual things, guys. Sometimes you're just crunching numbers, you know, and. You're just taking care of tasks and there's a lot that has to be done. You're reading contracts and you're trying to figure out what has to be done with the building here and there. And my thought, what made me sad was him, him thinking that that meant it wasn't spiritual because it wasn't teaching. Because in our Calvary Chapel movement, we tend to, we tend to focus on teaching. It's, it's almost as though that's the only gift in existence sometimes. Um, Well, it's not. And we want to be biblically minded. So we want to absorb all of these truths. In fact, it takes a lot more people serving than it does teaching for the church to run Uh, in a healthy fashion and I mean not just the building I'm talking about the body for us as as fellow Christians to be healthy together it takes a lot of people serving so resist the temptation to focus on yourself or your greatness or perhaps maybe what Jesus was really saying was reevaluate what you think greatness is if you understood what greatness really was you'd be running to serve you be volunteering for the job that people are like trying to not make eye contact when it comes up. (laughs) Oh no, he'll pick me. Um, so, uh, but then there's some more that we'll talk about, and this, this will bring us balance. Uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter six, we have the same group of guys, right? We have the apostles, and there's an issue that comes up, right? There's these people in the church that are not getting fed properly. These these uh, Greekish type, the the Hellenist, the Hellenistic Christians. So they're kind of Greek Jew kind of mixture going on there, and there was a little bit of prejudice maybe going against them, so they weren't getting their proper food. And so they said, we need someone to be in charge of this new food ministry to these widows in particular. And the apostles, what did they say? They said, oh, not us. We need to be giving our time to the word of God in prayer. So how does this jive with service being great? Well, let me read the passage and then I'll try to answer that question. Are they contradicting themselves? Like what's going on here? It says in Acts chapter 6, now in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitudes of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Notice the requirements for even just being over the food ministry. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. I like that. That's kind of neat. Uh, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to sharing the word. Now, why is it that if it's so great to, to serve these widows, why don't they jump at the chance? Because this isn't about which job is better. It's about which calling is theirs. And that's one of the focuses of Hebrews 12 as well. If you're called to minister, well, how do I know? Look, you need to figure this out. I can't, in fact, it's not healthy for me to run around and try to tell everybody where they're gifted and where they're not. This is something you've got to figure out. But, you know, how do you figure out what you're good at in life? You try stuff. Like you're on the baseball team and you're going, I don't know which which position on the baseball team I'm going to field the best. Oh, I'm worried about it. I'm so stressed about it. I'm like, well, how about you try? Try outfield. Try shortstop. Try catcher. Try pitcher. Try pitcher. Try Bench Warmer. Try all the positions and see who, see which one best fits you. <laughs> Sorry, not Bench Warmer. None of us should be Bench Warmers. Um, so it's not about greater and lesser ministries. It's about gifting. It's about as you've been gifted, use that gift. But if you're standing there doing nothing and you're being picky about what ministry to serve in, yet you're doing nothing, then you're wasting time. You should just get in there and do something. Just serve God somehow and not be like, well, that's not the particular ministry that I believe that I'm called to. And I'm like, well, you're not called to sit on your couch and binge Netflix all the time. Like, you probably should do something for the Lord. Um, so this is like our philosophy of church. Think about this. We have like a philosophy of church that we're learning in Romans here, that we ought to operate in our gifts. That's the thought. I should operate in my gifts. Now, this actually changes how I view the church and it changes how I interact with my future plans and what I would like to see in our fellowship, even our Sunday evening service or the different things we're doing. I think that we do live in kind of a consumer church environment. Have you noticed this where it's mostly about the Sunday morning service and it's mostly about coming and getting an experience on Sundays that you enjoy, that you would want to invite people to. Now, nothing's wrong with that. I'm not dogging that. I'm just saying that that is like not even half of all that they're supposed to be. If we're all gifted, then the guy teaching is only a fraction of the ministry that's to take place in the church. Because all those people he's teaching are also gifted and called to minister to one another as well. So that changes the way I see church. I think that this means that when we have ministries that are focused almost entirely on the teacher, and I don't mean ministries like parachurch ministries, I mean churches, where there's a whole fellowship of people and it's always about one teacher, and it's all centered around one teacher, that that might not be healthy for the church. And So let's keep this in mind as we keep as we keep uh, going on but speaking of teaching that's the next gift So let's dig in he who teaches in teaching Again, it's repeated, right? So teaching what is what is teaching people are actually confused about this believe it or not What is teaching teaching is simply this? Ready for this you might want to write this down Right explaining truth. That's what that's what teaching is teaching is getting other people to understand truth On whatever given subject you're talking about so as a Christian gift of the Holy Spirit we're primarily talking about understanding Christian teachings doctrines the truths of Christ with typically in Christianity a focus on the Bible itself there there tends to be in teaching a focus on the text that's consistent right even in the pastoral epistles Paul writes to Timothy he goes give attention to to the reading of Scripture and the teaching and command they teach no other doctrine than what you've already received which where is that recorded right in the text of the New Testament. So the focus of the teaching should be upon expounding and explaining the scriptures, giving us biblical views of things. Uh, This is incredibly important, and I'm gonna offer a criticism, but I wanna be gracious in it. I'm not here attacking anybody who does what I'm about to describe. But our goal is to be biblically minded. So we want to sort of take a step back and look and say, what does scripture say compared to maybe some of our experiences? Um, the teachings that we often have in churches today is is the Sunday morning service. The Sunday morning sermon is what most people like. You guys are the rare exception. You're coming. You're it's Sunday night. You're still at church. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Come on, you know you should be sleeping on the couch already by now. You're turkey coma or whatever. Um, but the Sunday morning sermon often lacks teaching. Now, I don't think this is the case in our fellowship, but I think that it often lacks. Teaching, There's no teaching element. It's pretty much primarily just a Just a feel-good message And when you first attend the church. It feels great. You're like man. oh, I was I love that. Thanks, man Oh, and I could bring people and they'll come and their first time they come but it seems pretty regular that those people who get saved in that ministry that like six months goes by a year goes by four or five years goes by and They're like man. Can you like actually teach me something? Can you go a little deeper in the word and sometimes those very pastors get frustrated Because they're like, I worked so hard and you loved it and now you don't like it. And then they get mad at the people. And instead, the people are actually trying to say, look, there's something we're actually missing. We're missing the teaching. Well, I think that that's unfortunately the case. And many believers, they only ever hear a Sunday sermon. They never attend uh, any home study groups to get in the Word together. They They don't get in the Word that much on their own. So they only hear a Sunday sermon that lacks teaching, which means they're lacking vital ministry in their lives. And it affects their life in big ways. Do you know that it's required that elders are able to teach? It's one of, the, in fact, there are several character requirements for elders, but there's one skill requirement. Able to teach. Isn't that interesting? Able to teach? Like this is the one thing this elder's got to be able to do. They got to be able to communicate the truths of Christianity. to Why? Because it's so important. It's so needed. And we do need to gather and do this. Um, so that, that's the implication. I, and I, I don't think you should limit teaching to the pulpit. Um, I think that you may have a gift in teaching whether it's just for a moment or in a particular area Or if it's a regular thing that you do any of you in this room may very well have You probably all will have at some point in your life where you're like, okay The Holy Spirit's calling me to explain this truth to this person. That's gonna happen to you It may happen more regularly It may be like a gift that kind of ca- you carry with you or not I don't know according to God's will But don't limit it to the pulpit if you understand doctrine and you can explain it effectively on a regular basis Then you have a gift in teaching, whether you're a boy or a girl. Whether you're a boy or a girl. (laughs) If you understand doctrine and you can explain it effectively, not arrogantly, that's very different. Effectively means they go, Oh, I understand, not, Oh, you've intimidated me into nodding my head. Like that's not explaining effectively, that's just being rude. Um, Then you should be teaching. But it doesn't have to be in a pulpit. In fact, the majority of what we do as a church doesn't happen in the pulpit if you really think about it. So let me give you a couple thoughts. Uh, teaching can be momentary or it can be continual. I, I think we experience both. I would say avoid pride just like verses three and four says in Romans 12 that he's like, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but be aware of your giftings and serve in them. But beware of pride because pride will mess you up. And in that, I'd say teachers with pride is a very bad scenario. It's a very bad scenario. Um, obviously, there's probably some element of pride that everybody struggles with. But when pride enters your teaching and changes the mode of how you do things, it will ruin your ministry. And what's what's bad is people will copy you. <laughs> like You're teaching them not just the truth, but how to be as you teach. And that's a little scary and intimidating. No wonder why I'm going to be judged more strictly as a teacher. But I also want to say this. This is something I did not grasp when I was younger, but I remember hearing one time a guy who he was, he was about to be ordained as a pastor and he just found out that the church was going to ordain him as a pastor and he was all excited about it, you know, which I understand. That's really a special thing, you know, and, uh, and he says, he, we were just casual conversation. He says, I got to figure out what I think about all the doctrines. I got to figure out what I think about all the doctrines because it's important that I know how to take a stand on all of the different doctrinal issues. And then he went on and said, you know, sometimes you might have to get up and teach and you might not have it all figured out, but you have to teach like you have it all figured out. And I was very young and I just remember, and I was, I didn't want to say anything out loud. I think I was a little too intimidated to do that. And I just remember looking and going, that doesn't sound right. (laughs) Like I would think the opposite. If you don't know then you should get up there and just not talk about it or talk about it as someone who doesn't know and say, I don't know guys. And just be honest. So I would say this, here's the thing that is so hard to get, even though I've said it over and over again to people I've tried to raise up as teachers do not teach what you don't know please just don't even deal with things you don't understand just ignore the issue if you can't Approach it as someone who understands. And if you study it well and still don't understand it, then just preach it as, I've studied this well. Here's some thoughts I really don't know. And just expose your ignorance for the world to see, because if you don't expose it, someone else will eventually. (laughs) It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, Or they'll just be Googling while you're teaching and they'll all know, but they won't tell you. Um, (laughs) Because that's the real world we live in nowadays, right? Um, Yes. Don't teach what you don't know, or I'll put it this way: only teach what you actually know, rather than knowing what you teach, which is a very foolish way of teaching. But I've seen it plenty. I know what I teach. Whatever I say, I stand upon that like I will die on this hill, and there are there is no end to the number of hills I will die on. The longer I teach, the more firm you know, confident proclamations I make on questionable issues I haven't really thought that much about. And that is a very bad way to teach. And that's pride. That's pride ultimately. Because I'm trying to protect my authoritarian reputation instead of trying to communicate Christian truths very carefully. So there is actually a great passage in the scripture that incorporates a couple of the points I just made about girls and boys being able to teach in a capacity, in a biblical capacity, um, as well as only teaching what you know. So turn to Acts 18. This is I love that the scripture gives us clear teachings, but also examples of those teachings in real life so that we can go, oh, that's what you meant. So here we are, Acts chapter 18, and this is what I believe is a, is proof of of my point. (laughs) And I will die on that hill. Acts 18 verse 24, it says, Now, a certain Jew named Apollos was born, uh, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately, accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. He did not know the whole story of Jesus. So what did he know? He only knew up to John. Up to John's baptism, John was like pointing the way to Jesus. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he doesn't know the full teaching of everything yet. So what does he do? He just takes what he does know. He shares that no more. Then let's, let's read on. So um, verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla, this is a couple, heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately so he gets the rest of the details the rest of the the doctrines that the apostles have been teaching now he gets the rest of it and when he desired to cross to Achaia the brothers the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him and when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ now notice a few things and also stick to two people in this story Priscilla and Apollos Aquila and Priscilla are a married couple. Priscilla is the wife. And what did she do? She, along with her husband, both of them, they took Apollos aside, even though he's a teacher, and they said, there's some stuff you need to learn. And they explained to him doctrine, more theology, more understanding about the doctrine of who Christ was. It wasn't just encouragement. She was actually sharing doctrinal truth with her husband there. But she was definitely part of this. They both did it. And it's looked at as a good thing in the passage. Okay, that's what I get from the passage. I'm just letting the passage be the passage, right? Now, Apollos, he stuck to what he knew. And that's why he taught the way of God accurately. Now, imagine if he goes, I know that Jesus, I know, you know, there's this baptism of John. Maybe he knew that John had said Jesus was the Lamb of God. Maybe all this kind of thing he knew. But what if he decided to just guess at the other details, It would have disqualified him, wouldn't it? He would have looked like a fool. But because he humbly stayed to only what he firmly knew with his limited knowledge, he was able to teach accurately the things of God. And that, I think, is what every young teacher especially should know. Old teachers usually figure this out on their own. They go, there's plenty I don't know. I'm just willing to deal with that. But young teachers are so eager to prove themselves and to not look bad in front of others that they often pretend they know everything when the reality is they just heard it in a Bible study one time and they don't remember who said it. So stick to what you know, study the passage carefully, teach it humbly, don't go beyond what you know. And that way you can teach accurately and you can really build up the body. And then here we have Priscilla who had something to teach to Apollos, which I think is very interesting. It may not have been a pulpit ministry, but there was a teaching capacity that was going on there. So um, I think these examples are in scripture for a reason. I do, uh, I do think that the office of elder is not, is not appropriate for a woman because of the teaching of scripture here, not because of some sexism. Of course, I'll be accused of this. Um, but I get accused a lot worse than that, so <laughs> I'll just deal with that as it comes. <clears throat> so I'm not, I'm not here trying to subvert anything, rather I, I want to have a full balanced view of all these things. Um, so it, it, are there women who may be gifted in teaching? Very, very, yes. Very well there are. The question is how is that role and capacity to play out in the church? That seems to be the balance that we're getting here. So he who teaches in teaching, um, are you gifted in this ability? Do you have the ability to explain? Not just you know it all, you help them know it. That's what teaching is. Teaching is not about my knowledge, it's about your knowledge when you grow. If you're like this, then, the, then the, the statement to you is, okay, then get to teaching. Start teaching. Oh, I wouldn't want to put myself in that position. You didn't. The Holy Spirit gifted you. Now start sharing these truths with others. Do it humbly. Do it appropriately. Do it thoughtfully, stick to only what you know, but please, by all means, if you have this, this opportunity or a particular skill in this, go for it, because it's the whole body doing the job. That's you know, It's the whole team working together. That's when we see the fruit. So if this is your gift, my question is, are you using it? And I'll just say this, um, two things to close with on teaching. I, I actually love to talk about teaching for about seven hours straight, but let me just say this, uh, it's not about pet subjects. It's not about, teaching is not an opportunity to fix everybody on what annoys you. It is the opportunity to communicate God's truth from his word. That's the idea, to just help them know more about God. Um, also, I think that there are multiple teachers in the body of Christ, and we should have multiple teachers in our lives. Here at Hosanna, we have how many people that come to this church? It's like at least 12, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe more than that. I don't know the exact numbers, I don't care to actually, but we have enough people that I know that there are lots of people that are gifted to teach in some capacity or another. And and what's on my heart is to see more people teaching in this church, whether it's in a home study fellowship, whether it's alternating teachers in different ministries, or if it's just having people who just kind of after church, they're just going, hey, did you understand that? Hey, and they're just trying to help people, you know, whoever's open to it to, to receive and learn more. I think that's a great thing. Uh, We want to get the body using our gifts so we can be a healthier, stronger body. That's the idea. That's the idea. So, um, so at least for me as a pastor, I'll say this. I'm not like this, my pulpit, my pulpit, nobody else. That's not my, that's not my goal. And um, rather I really want more people raised up in teaching and serving. And that's why I've put on classes in teaching. And then of course the guys I'm like, I'm invited like, dude, you need to come to this class and they don't show up. So, so I hate them forever. so <laughs> I have to work through that. Okay. <clears throat> number number, uh, number three, I think for tonight, he who exhorts in exhortation. Um, verse eight, he who exhorts in exhortation. What is the gift of exhortation? Well, exhorting is, is something we don't use that word very often. So the idea is you're inviting people to action or you're, you're inspiring them to in action or you're encouraging them. That's the idea. These two concepts in exhortation. Teaching is informational. Exhortation is inspirational Specifically I'm inspiring you to do something So I'm like the guy that says like hey get up. Let's no let's go right now. Get up. Let's do it That's an exhortation when I in a teaching moment. I stop and I pause and I say hey place your hope in Christ That's an exhortation whereas a teaching would be an explanation. Of, well, you know what hope is? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm sort of, you know, you're, you're dissecting things in teaching, but in exhortation, you're, you're trying to get people to respond to it. You know, the, uh, the exhortation is, is the sign that, that, that says like, you know, hot hamburgers for sale. <laughs> you're like, ooh, I want hot hamburgers. That's, I, I'm trying to be drawn to respond to these things. So James is a great book of exhortation. It really is. Uh, Romans is a great book of uh, of teaching, and it has several elements of exhortation, and you'll see these things mixed together. I think healthy teaching should have exhortation as well, but you'll find that the gift set of the person talking will change the content of the message. They'll have more exhortation, less teaching, because that's their gifting. They'll have more teaching, less exhortation, because that's their gifting. It's not because they're better and worse; they're different kinds of teachers. They're different kinds of communicators, gifted by the Spirit in different ways. So I I tend to think of this kind of clumsy, but I I tend to think of it as preaching and teaching. Exhortation is more preaching. Teaching is more educational. And so I I tend to think of it like that. You know, I could think of uh, our our senior pastor is more of a teacher, you know, um, say Pastor uh, Jeff Johnson, uh, he's more of an exhorter, preacher. Now they both do the other thing, but they both sort of lean one direction. I'm more of a teacher, obviously. Um, and, And I, now the thing is, I shamelessly lean on that. Why? Because I'm I'm, the Holy Spirit gave me this gift, I'm going to try to use it to the best of my ability. And that's what you should do as well. If you're gifted in exhorting and you go, man, I'm bad at explaining things, but I'm good at exhorting. Well, then you should focus on that. Why are you trying to be the teacher when you're the exhorter? That's what you should focus on. But my church needs teaching too. Yes, that's why there's other people there. So you trade the pulpit out and you let other people minister too so that you can have the full rounded ministry happening in that, in that place. So why is it repeated again? He who exhorts in exhortation? Because God's saying, get to it, exhorter. God is exhorting you. <laughs> He's exhorting you. Get to it. Exhortation is really important in the body. There are many people whose lives change, not just because of teaching, but because somebody was like, man, don't you think it's time you served Jesus? And they're, you're right, yeah. And then they go out and they're serve, you know, or someone says, man, why don't you have an hour of prayer tonight? When's the last time you had an hour of prayer? And they're not teaching nothing, right? They're just like, you need to pray. You need to pray for your kids and for your spouse and for the things that are on your mind. You need to be lifting up others and, and don't even talk about you for once for an hour, right? Just pray about it. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to do that. And exhortation's super important in my life. I love it. I, I like to listen to guys that are, do teaching and, and people that do exhortation and have them all in my life, multiple people pouring into my life so I can get that rounded thing going on. I love that. Um, so let me read a couple of scriptures related to this. Uh, Hebrews 3.13, it says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhortation does something to preserve us. You know, so you might feel like you're nagging people, but when you're doing it out of love and you're doing it according to the gifting God's given you, exhortation is a welcome and important thing. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're the exhorter. Don't minimize your gift because you're in an environment where you, I've I've had this where someone comes and they share in my my place and I'm gifted more towards teaching and they're towards exhorting. And I've told them like, dude, don't try to to teach like me. Teach according to what's on your heart, to what your gifting is, to what your calling is. They need that, especially after hearing me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they can balance them out you know so I, I this is beautiful this is good stuff uh, Hebrews 10 25 he says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some that's the go to church verse but exhorting one another exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching Hebrews ten twenty five describes a, a New Testament first century church gathering as a bunch of Christians coming together and doing what to one another exhorting. So people come and you're like, how are you feeling? I'm down. Oh, man, let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Let me, this is where we come. We, we don't, we don't, it's not the guilt trip. It's exhortation. Now exhortation can be harsh and it can be soft and it can be whatever is needed at the time. And according, hopefully to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, So a, a couple thoughts on exhortation, it's not just for pulpits. Am I a broken record here? None of these are just for the pulpit. And I would say this if you're trying to exhort people here's just a, just my personal opinion exhort people don't control people There's a huge difference There's a huge difference and you know you're controlling people if you try to exhort them and then you get mad at them afterwards Because you're just controlling you're not exhorting you're not trying to help them You're just trying to get them under your thumb so to speak and that that's there's a difference there There's a difference so maximize your gift if you're not a teacher don't be a teacher if you're an exhorter do that If you're the teacher, not the exhorter, well, don't try to be the exhorter. If you're the evangelist and not the educator, then be the evangelist, not the educator. Be what comes more natural to you. Um, Use your gift. The body needs it. The Holy Spirit gave it to you for a purpose. And these two make me really think that these are multiple different speaking gifts, exhortation and teaching. So maybe I shouldn't have just one speaker in my life. And I've had a lot of fruit from having multiple teachers in my life at all times because it thank God for the radio or the internet being able to always have lots of sources of input and that's a healthy thing. That's a, that's a quality thing. We like that. So teaching ministry and exhortation, those are the three we've covered and they all have something in common that the rest of these don't have because he's about to shift gears. These three, he's like, if you're a teacher, then get to teaching. Are you an exhorter? Get to exhorting. You got ministry or service to do, get to your serving. It's a get to it mentality, but as he moves forward, it'll be specific advice, right? When he says he who gives, he doesn't say get to giving, he says with liberality or he tells you how to do it. So it shifts, it changes. Why these three, just these three, service, teaching and exhortation, they're just told get to it. I think because perhaps, maybe the message in the scripture kind of hidden here is that these three often lie dormant in the church. Oh, I really wanna serve, I see needs, but do I really wanna step out, put myself out there. Uh, You know, I really, you know, I understand the truth here that person doesn't but do I really want to Engage on that conversation That person, you know, I I see them I can tell they're kind of like they're drifting away and they need some encouragement They need some exhortation, but that's kind of uncomfortable for me, you know, because like I have a personal space That's exactly one mile across (laughs) And it's preferred to be way over there and I'll think about it I think maybe these these giftings lie dormant and here's the here's the real kicker. Maybe Teaching, exhortation, or service is lying dormant in you right now. If it is, get to it. And if you're not sure exactly how to do it, I honestly think just going for it is totally fine. Just experiment with it. Try serving and see how it goes. Because the body needs you. We really do. We really need you. And out of love for, for us and and care for Christ, you should just go for it. <clears throat> so, Let's move on. He who gives with liberality. He who gives with liberality. This is not about tithing. Um, I I might be in a minority around here. I do not think Christians have to tithe. I have yet to see that in the scriptures, though I do tithe (laughs) and have for many years. And I think it's fine. I don't think they have to. But they are supposed to give this is very clear in this in the scriptures Why we were to give to those who minister to us spiritually? That's clear. We are to give to those who are poor and needy That's clear and we're and we have the opportunity to sponsor and help missions and ministries and store treasures in heaven These are different types of giving that we do that's good and healthy But he who gives with liberality if this was about tithing it would say he who gives with 10% Think about it <laughs> But it says, he who gives with liberality. So giving is exactly that. You're just giving of your resources. This is a financial giving. Either the stuff I have or the finances I have, I'm, I'm giving that somehow to the Lord. And how should I give? That's what's being said. Generously. How should I give? Generously. Not, not how much should I give, but how much can I give? That's the question as a Christian. Not how much should I give, how much can I give? That's a difficult question for some of us to ask, because I'm like, you know how long it took to save up that, (laughs) you know, how hard things are, what might happen next week, that kind of thing. But here's where I want to encourage you. Scripture says clearly we're not to give by compulsion. That is no ministry or minister should ever pressure you to give. Um, That is unbiblical in its very nature. The minute someone is demanding that you give, that's time to change the channel. Like you'd be better off watching a sitcom than that guy. Not that you'd be better off watching a sitcom in general, but <laughs> better than that manipulative misuse of the scripture. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to be forced into giving. There's no such thing as compulsion here. Compulsion speaks of the asker. Like, let's say that I'm like after today, I'm going to ask you guys to give generously. And then the, the plague gets passed and you're worried people are around you and you're thinking like, oh, you know, everybody knows. And like, this is wrong. This is just weird. This is just not the environment God wants for giving so um not by compulsion and the second thing is um i just lost my notes where are we wait what book are we in okay hold on there it is grudgingly not grudgingly saved so smooth Alright, not grudgingly, don't give grudgingly, now that's, not by compulsion speaks of the asker. The person's not trying to pressure you into giving. In fact, I had a guy do this once over here at the coffee shop, he came in and he said, I'm a traveling minister and I go around ministering and the Bible says that you're supposed to support those who serve and bless you spiritually with physical things, so, can you give me some money? And I just laughed at him and told him no, because I don't know you. I don't know, it. okay great, you have a Christian scam going on, please go away, like I don't know you. I don't, you'd have not ministered to me spiritually. Why would I give you, and if you did minister and then came with your hand out, I would question everything you've done. And so, not by compulsion. The minute someone's pressuring you, you need to rethink it. But that's about the asker. Not grudgingly is about the giver. When you do give, don't do it grudgingly. You know, where you pull it. it's the heart. I've let go of my money, but my money hasn't let go of me. And that's, that's the issue that's going on there. So, not grudgingly. um, Let me, let me read to you what it says in 2nd Corinthians 8. In fact, I'll give you time to turn there while I, while I muse on other giving related topics. 2nd Corinthians chapter 8. Here's a question I have. If a person is wealthy, does this imply that they're supposed to have the gift of giving? If a person has material wealth, does that imply that they have this gift of giving? And I'm going to say, okay, this is my thought and I could be wrong. I think perhaps it does. I think perhaps their wealth implies that they have the gift of giving. And I I only think it for this reason. If someone is full, is capable and skilled at teaching, does that imply they have the gift of teaching? I'd be like, yeah, of course, obviously it does. Well, what if they have this physical wealth above and beyond what they need? Does this not imply the ability to give? Which seems to imply perhaps a calling to give you have an ability so you consider that a part of your calling So I I think we look at our abilities as part of our calling and I think that this may be the case This doesn't mean you force them not grudgingly So this isn't the case for banging on the doors of the rich and be like God want you to give me your money to me Okay, you need to repent This is not actually what we're talking about at all Nor are we talking about government or force any of that sort of thing. We're talking about Christian ethics Christian principles if you have wealth should you be considering that as part of your calling to give and support others? I think the answer is yes, biblically. And I think of several scriptures that support that, but I'll give you one example. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses 13 through 15. Look at the balance that Paul describes for the church. He's talking about giving and he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack that there may be. Equality as it is written he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack Let me let me explain that if it didn't land quite for you The idea is this he goes right now I'm going to take your supply over to Jerusalem to help the needful Saints. There's persecution. There's poverty going on there You guys however you have plenty right now So because you have plenty and they lack let me take some of your plenty to them to bless them But only freely only because you want to help Then perhaps there will come another time when you ha- when you lack and they have plenty and then what will we do, we'll help, we'll have them help you so that the body looks around and says, well, I have more than what I need, who has less than what, I, what they need? Let me help them. Now, this may not mean giving to ministries. This may very well mean just helping people who need help. You know, you look around and you're going, man, they can't pay their rent. I'm just going to pay their rent for them. I got way more than enough. This is just the body helping the body. This is not funneling everything through the 501c3 of the church. That's irrelevant, right? That's nothing to do with it. This is just helping people who have need when you have more than they do. That's cool, man. That's, that's beautiful, isn't it? So he who gives with liberality. Give generously according to what? He who gives. Does this mean everybody's giving everything? No, we'd all be poor. Or just passing around the same wad of cash. Like it just wouldn't make any sense, right? So there is a sense in which do I have this calling to give? Well, when you do give, Give generously. Give with that with that joyous heart. <clears throat> it's true that the widow's might is a great spiritual value. I think in an inward and an upward impact because it, the widow's might, though it didn't help people very much, it helped her heart to not be attached to money and it gave glory to Jesus Christ. It was a great act of sacrifice and worship to God because proportionally that was a lot of money to her. But <clears throat> it's also true that the the person who's well off can have a greater physical impact in the community or in the people he's helping or she's helping, and so that is also true let's not let's not act like it doesn't even matter uh, if you have a million dollars and you donate it to, to help supply the needs of widows in your in your community or something like that like of course that matters and this is genius you know why because the people who are well off <clears throat> can often give more and they're, and they're called to give I think liberally. And Here's the thing now money has no hold on you whether you're giving a small portion of what you what little you have or you're giving a a, a Relatively small portion of, of what great stuff you have It means money doesn't have hold of you and that's the great risk for us as believers is that money and materialism gets a hold of my heart so there's a lot more that can be said on that but I think those are some interesting points that Seem biblical to me. Um, so let's keep reading. He who leads with diligence. <clears throat> the leader is called to do so with diligence. Diligence is like an intentful pressing on. It actually has to do with the word zeal and diligence kind of smashed together. So there's like a zeal or excitement in their leadership. And there's a diligence, which is like that non nonstop, like the tortoise in the hare. Who was diligent? Well, the tortoise was. The tortoise was the diligent one. He just wouldn't stop. Boom, 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 boom. That's what, and the leadership should try to have the zeal of the, of the hare and the diligence of the tortoise. That's the idea for leaders. Leading is not the same as teaching. Um, you, you can be a leader without being a teacher. You could be a teacher without being a leader. You could be both for different capacities. <clears throat> and if you're asking yourself, am I a leader? Well, let me ask you this. Look around at your life and is anybody following you? If people are following your lead, then what does that make you a leader? So you're called to do what to do that with zeal, with diligence. So God wants leaders who are committed and passionate and they do so constantly. And as a leader, you cannot give in and buckle and become a a sissy la la wimpy face When you don't get your way and you can't make it about you and you can't do these things because you have to be all about the impact you're having on those who are following your steps that's the idea I wonder this though like if if you rewrote this today with modern um, like if I've been to pastors conferences and stuff like this youth conferences especially and you know what they would have I think they would a lot of them would rewrite this text so instead of saying he who leads with diligence it would say he who leads with vision that's what they would emphasize vision guys you have to have vision what's your vision give me your five-point sermon vision sermon that's gonna fire everybody up write the vision make it plain that he who reads may run with it totally taken out of context that verse. Um, this this is not what it says it doesn't say vision and here's the reason why I, I think it doesn't say vision is because I already know my vision it's clear in the scriptures preach the gospel make disciples use your gifts to build up the body and invite the world to know Christ pretty simple stuff I, I worked hard on writing a vision statement for our youth ministry years ago. And I sat there and I thought I was supposed to have this fresh vision, something unique, something different, something that I haven't quite seen before. It's gonna have a slight spin on it. And I prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it until I finally came up with my two word vision, make disciples. And I thought this might be boring, but this is the vision. You know? <laughs> and how could it be anything else? We get excited about vision. What we should be excited about is diligence. Let he who leads do so with diligence. Leaders need to have diligence. Diligence is better than vision. Way better. Way better. You know, the, the, the firecracker explodes, makes a big, big light, big sound, and then goes away. And then there's the stars still shining day after day after day after day. And, that, and that's, that's a, a solid leader is one you can look at and you can go 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, they're still serving Jesus, they're still leading, they're still a person that you could hopefully follow their way of life. And that's why I need to lead with diligence. There's a verse that changed my life in Proverbs. It really actually honestly did change my life. I think about it all the time. Proverbs twelve twenty seven. it says, The lazy man, that was me. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. I think of times I microwave food and forgot it. Came the next day and found my dinner in the microwave. (laughs) was like, oh man, (laughs) that's why I'm so hungry. Um, The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. But diligence is man's precious possession. The first time I read that as as a little kid, as like I was probably 12 or 13, Proverbs was the first book I read. And I remember diligence is man's precious possession. I was like, what's diligence? What is that? But I've never stopped thinking about it, you know, and this idea of this sort of plotting faithfulness that we're called to, especially as leaders, but every believer is really called to it, a zeal and a diligence. All right. The next one is he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This is the last one for us tonight. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Um, What is the gift of mercy? What what is this person who's, who's called by the Holy Spirit to show mercy? Well, obviously, all of us are called to show mercy, but this is talking about something more particular to the person. No, no, you particularly have this gift of mercy. And I've actually read on some websites where they get really detailed. They're like, you have the gift of mercy if you, if you like have a blue aura and you, and you get butterflies in your stomach when Bugs Bunny's on to, I'm being silly, but the idea is that they get sort of like really detailed into all these gifts and what they are. And I feel like maybe they're too detailed, but basically mercy is, is when people don't deserve something and you give it to them anyway. That's the idea of mercy is you're helping people who are in deep need. It's people who are in deep need. Um, I think service, ministry, we talked about earlier, is about tasks that need to be done and you're called to serve and get the tasks done. Mercy, I think, is more focused on individuals and helping people through what they're going through. That'd be my simple explanation of mercy. So it seems to be helping the less fortunate or suffering. I think there's an example of this in Matthew 20. Uh, Let me read to you this story. Jesus is walking and he comes across these blind men and they ask for mercy. So it says, Now as he went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Um, So here they are calling for mercy. They're the less fortunate. And I mean, you think being blind is bad now where we have Braille and we have help and we have a a society that's more aware of the needs of somebody whose vision is impaired or is blind. I can't imagine what it was like then. And they say, have mercy, and he heals them. So maybe having mercy is just that. It's like, here's someone who's in dire straits, difficult times in life, and I'm drawn to them, maybe emotionally, maybe just in my awareness. Maybe I'm emotionally burdened for them. Maybe I'm just aware of them. I'm like, I just noticed, first thing I noticed was that guy, man, he really needs help. And maybe that's where I'm called to give mercy to that person. Um, I think some people focus on the emotional side too much. I don't want to ignore it, but I don't want you to think if you don't have like deep, like powerful, like Shakespearean emotions for, for this person, then you're not called to give mercy. Rather, um, that may not be the case, but we're told not how mercy feels. We're told how to do it. And that's with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. That's interesting, huh? You ever showed mercy without Cheerfulness. When you're serving people that are less fortunate, you can sometimes get irritated with them. You know why you're less fortunate? Because you're a fool. Because you're, cause you're wimpy. Because you're a sissy lala. That's why. Come on, man up. And it can become a bitter or hard-hearted attitude towards them. And you forget that what you're showing them is mercy. It's not what they deserve. It's mercy. I'm just trying to aid you, help you, get you through this time. Now, we don't want to become enablers. And that's not the calling. So don't, you know, don't cross that road hopefully but to show mercy with cheerfulness to have a gracious attitude towards those We are helping rather than kind of an irritated attitude or a self-righteous attitude or something like that So it's not exactly focused on the feeling of of what mercy feels like But rather the attitude with which I demonstrate this mercy or this help this aid to others who are less fortunate And they can be very needy and you might be like well, I feel slightly irritated by helping other people. So that must not be my ministry. I just would say be careful of disqualifying yourself from things that you see that need to be done and you know they need to be done and you could do it. Just be thoughtful before you just you, you, you wipe that off your, your list of things to do, you know. Um, just be careful with that. Um, it's not he who shows mercy will always feel like it. No, no. If you always felt like he wouldn't have to tell you to do it with cheerfulness. <laughs> There'd be no command. You just be go for it. You'll do fine Um, So here's a question. Does this passage imply That one or another of these gifts is given to a person long term So should I should I now after studying this go I have the gift of mercy or I have the gift of teaching or I have the gift of Exhortation. I don't think that that's even what this passage is about. I Think whether you taught one person one time or if you exhorted one person every day or you showed mercy once, or you seem to do it as a regular ministry, either way, you apply the instruction to that moment. Because all of us are going to do some capacity of this at some point. But you will find yourself probably leaning towards certain things. Now, they actually have spiritual gift tests online. Have you guys ever taken one of those? I'm just curious. I took them. I was just like curious for like spiritual gifts test. Um, I I have mixed feelings about those. I, I don't think they tell you what your spiritual gifts are. Um, And how would a test do that anyway? But what they do is they tell you what you're already doing. And so it's like a way of evaluating yourself. Like, what am I already doing in life? Because maybe I'm not seeing something that's already there. And in that sense, it could actually be fruitful if you take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) So just for what it's worth, there are these spiritual gifts tests online. um, And you could be thoughtful about it. You might, might just get more insight into what you're already doing. And it might reveal something to you about yourself that you didn't notice. Um, there's some wrong thinking I want to avoid before we close, and that's don't pick one of these gifts and blow it up to be the only thing that you do. Um, let's say that, that, okay, I have a gift in teaching. I'm called to teach. I know I'm called to do this. Um, does that mean I don't really have to worry about all that other stuff? Like, I don't need to give with liberality or help out my neighbors in need because my gift is teaching. That would seem to be unwise. Um. I think we should try to be careful about that. These things flow and mix as the Spirit wills, and the Holy Spirit can give you something for a moment, a season, a lifetime, according to His will. So what we are doing right now in Romans 12, in closing, is um, getting a philosophy of church. And when I say philosophy of church, I mean philosophy of the body of Christ, the local Christians that we are fellowshipping together. And what I am getting from this is that we all ought to be perhaps even more active than we are. So maybe you could take this forward and when you see people who seem to have gifts, like man that guy's really, you know when he encourages me, I'm, in, I'm encouraged. And maybe tell him. You know that, that girl, she shows me, you're like, you know what, you are such an aid to people when they're hurting, did you know that? Like help people identify their own sort of leanings and giftings and stuff so that they might be able to step into those things more because a lot of us are just too, too intimidated to step forward and just try stuff. Um, and we want someone to tell us, and maybe that's maybe that's needed. Maybe that's helpful for us. But uh, but we don't want to be pew Christians. Um, it's like there's no bench warmers in Christianity. There shouldn't be any. If you're on the bench, it's because something's wrong. Like, fix it and get off the bench. That's the idea. All right, well, let's pray. Well, Father, uh, we thank you that now we know everything there is to know about church and how to do everything in every possible way with all wisdom. Oh, Lord, we just pray this. We pray that you'd help us to just see the things you're showing us, help us to apply your word simply and practically into our lives to um, uh, have a sense of freshness about what it means to have a calling and giftings, have a sense of uh, an awareness that we are actually called to be a participating part of the body of Christ and, uh, and not just a consumer. And that this goes, yes, this happens in our, fe- in our regular weekly gatherings and fellowships, but it happens at work, and it happens in our family environment, and it happens with our neighbors, and it just it's supposed to just be a flowing thing all the time. And so that's what we pray for. Help us, we pray, to be more aware of our spiritual calling and our giftings and our enablement to see needs so we can try to meet needs and to look at others and realize that no matter how much we might think they're, they're numbskulls, or, or whatever, their shoes are weird or something like that, may we instead look at them and realize that the Holy Spirit has gifted them to minister as well and that we might be more open to receive from one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.